Okay, guys, we are finishing up. We've been doing a study through the basics of the Christian life. And so we've been looking at different facets of the Christian life. We're really on the second facet right now. So we've been three weeks. This will be our third week on the issue of prayer. We've looked at the Word of God and its importance in your life, and now we're going to talk about prayer. Now, I need to remind you of a couple things before we get right into our study, that when we talk about the basics of the Christian life, we are not talking about ritual or religious exercises that you need to do. What we are talking about is a relationship. When we talk about the Christian life, we're not talking about a set of things that you need to do, but what we're talking about is you having a relationship with the living God. So when we talk about the Word of God, and as we talk about prayer today, we're talking about those as being a component of the relationship, as far as you having a relationship with God. So we talked about in the first week, when we talked about the issue of prayer, is our tendency is not to pray, because our human tendency is, is we want to avoid someone, especially if we've done wrong to them. You know what? Remember what I'm talking about? Like, for instance, if you know you've done somebody wrong and, and you don't want to see them and you see them at Walmart and you just happen to be strolling down there with your cart and you look down there and you see three aisles over is that person you did wrong or, or that person you've got an issue with, what do we normally do? We go somewhere else on the other side of the building or we leave. And, it, and, and how many of you have been there? You've had kids with you, and you said, we got to get out of here. Why, Mom? We haven't gone to the toys yet. You know? And it's because you want to avoid them. We have that same tendency with God. Because with us, our sin keeps us from our relationship with Him, keeps us from the issue of prayer. So we talked about that. We talked last week about being realistic and understanding some foundational truths as far as why we should pray. So today we're going to talk about the manner of prayer. So let me give you some foundational thoughts. As we talk about praying in general, period, we need to have some foundational thoughts. Here's the first one. You cannot make yourself ready to meet God. Put a star by that one. That is so crucial that you understand that. There is nothing that you can do to make yourself ready to meet God in prayer. Like, you know, that's our, our human tendency. Like, if you know company's coming over, you just get, I mean, you put the, you do everything you can to make sure the house is what? You ever heard? We gotta make sure the house is what? Ready. For them, what does that mean? We've got to clean up our messes. So they don't see our messes. Or if you know somebody's coming over, you know, guys, we just kind of like put our hand through our hair and, you know, maybe wipe off a smudge and we're okay. But the ladies, they got to go to the bathroom for what? A long time to get ready, right? Because you're getting ready for somebody. That's our human tendency. We try to do the same thing with God, but you don't need to. Because here's the reality, if you want to write this down to the margin. There's nothing you can do to make yourself acceptable. There is nothing you can do to make yourself acceptable to God. 
They say, how do you know that, George? Well, because the reality is, if you think about your salvation, and you think about the essence of the gospel, the essence of the gospel is, is you can't do anything for your salvation. Only who could do it for you? Jesus on the cross, dying, his sacrifice, his complete payment of the price of satisfying the wrath of God for your sin. You can't do anything to make yourself acceptable. You are acceptable to God because of who? Jesus. So if I'm going to have a foundational thought when it comes to prayer, I don't need to make myself ready because I can't. I'm already ready because of who? Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm already ready because of Jesus. Here's the other foundational truth. You need to be real. When you go to prayer, first thing you need to recognize is I can't make myself ready. But then the next thing you need to recognize is, is you just need to be flat out real. You need to, you know, we, we like to put platitudes on. In fact, church is a good place for platitudes. What do you mean? Well, when you come to church, everybody puts on their what? Their best face. I mean, the week could have stunk. I mean, everything could have possibly gone wrong on the way over here. And you're grumping and griping at each other in the vehicle. But as soon as you walk through that door, hi! How's your week been? Great! Do you know what I'm saying? You're not being real. We try to do the same thing with God. I mean, think about how silly that is for a moment. The God of the universe who knows everything who knows the very number of the hairs on our head, who knows our hearts better than we know ourselves, and we try to be fake with him. And and the reason why, again, let's get back, because we have these wrong misconceptions, and the wrong misconception about prayer is, is that it's a religious exercise. Remember, prayer is simply talking to God, the God of the universe. And so the reality is, is that when I pray, I need to be real. So if I'm having a rotten day, I tell them, Lord, this hasn't been a good day. You know that. Here's the thing. You ever talk to somebody and they don't really know how you're feeling? You ever talk to somebody, you wish that, it's like nobody knows exactly how I'm feeling. Oh, they say they do, but they don't. How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? God knows exactly how you're feeling. He knows every emotion. He knows every thought. He knows exactly what happened. He knows what you don't know. So you can be real. So you need to be real with him. I think, can I be honest with you, for some of you, that will revolutionize your prayer life. If you would just be real, that will change your whole prayer life. That will change the whole dynamic of your prayer life if you'll just be real. You say, are you sure we can do that? Well, have you read the Psalms? Have you read the Psalms? Over and over, David, King David, is real. God, where are you? My enemies are around me. They seek my life. In fact, the Psalms are also known in biblical studies as laments. They are a lament, a cry from the heart. 
Now, when you're crying from the heart, can you be fake? No, not really. They're real. And so you need to be real. You need to be real in your prayer life. Now, let's, let's go on. Here's the other foundational truth, foundational thought you need to have. Approaching God is not based on a ritual. Approaching God is not based on a ritual. There is no... You know what? Here's the interesting thing. When you read through the Bible, I, I find it very interesting, and you read how people prayed, there is no set pattern of how people prayed. You say, what do you mean by that, George? Well, in some verses you read how people prayed with their hands lifted high. In some verses you read how they covered themselves with ashes and ripped their garments. In some verses you read how they're just flat on their face before God. Some verses you read that they're on their knees. Some verses they're standing. Some verses their heads are covered. Some verses they're not covered. There's really no way perfect way or ritualistic way for you to pray. You know, and, and you'd be surprised over the years I've talked with folks and I've talked with seniors and, and they'll be so discouraged, I just can't pray the way I used to. Now what do you mean by that? Well, I can't get on my knees anymore. Okay. But you can still pray. See, they've equated the two. They've been taught in order to pray, you've got to be on your knees, but their health won't allow it anymore. So you don't have to do that. I tend to, you want to know what I do, I tend to pray standing up walking. Because you put me in a chair, I tend to snore to God. Okay? Did you know what I'm saying? I mean, some of you, especially if you're working, do you know what I'm saying? If you're a worker... And you and and you're on the go all the time. A relaxing moment is a, is an invitation for a nap. And when you pray, you're at ease with God. And and before you know it, you're gone. So I walk. Do, do you know what I'm saying? I, I I get up and I walk when I pray. Now I, that's not I I pray while I drive. I mean it's not always, but most of the time I'm walking. So it's not based on a ritual. Here's the other one. It's not based on the words we use. Prayer, here's a foundational thought. When you talk about prayer, don't think of it in terms of certain specific words that you use. Some people, now, I don't want to be offensive to anyone here because I know the older you are, if you're, you're more senior, you've, you've learned to pray this way and that's okay. But for some people, Using King James English is not necessarily going to make your prayers even better. Now, some people use that because that's how they were taught to pray as a child. But in our culture now, that's very odd. And it's usually the only ones who do that are seniors. But let's say all of a sudden you decide, well, I, let's say George, me, I, you know, I, I need to get back to change my prayer life. And I, you start hearing me use these and vows, something's up. Because it's not based on the words I use. In fact, here's what I told I told somebody I talked to somebody just Friday and we were talking about prayer and she said to me, Well, George, sometimes I don't even know how to pray. And I said, The Bible tells us that we don't know how to pray. Can I be and I said to her, I said, What you need to understand is is prayer sometimes isn't talking. Prayer sometimes is just being silent and letting God talk to you. 
and responding to the thoughts that come to your mind. And then you know how to pray. Because it's the Holy Spirit then, because we don't know how to pray, and the Scripture says the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. So it's not the words you use. Because here's the other thing. Words we use can also lead to manipulation. And remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? That we were not to uh, continually be repetitious in our prayers or babble in our prayers. The, the emphasis was is that he was looking at the pagans at the time, and their whole concept of approaching God was one of manipulation. And so they would say the same things over and over and over and over again, trying to get their God's attention. So you don't have to worry about using special words to get God's attention. Now, how would that work in... Remember, we're talking about a relationship here now. How would that work in your marriage? That, you know, whenever you approach your spouse, especially when you went, want something from her, you use, all of a sudden start using different words. I mean, it wouldn't get very far. She's going to be like, what's up with you? Do you know what I'm saying? What do you want? So, it's not based on the words we use. Now, here's one, and I think we need to grasp this one. You can pray without using, in Jesus' name, amen. Some folks, I, I this happened to me. It's probably been 17 years ago now. Um, Lori and I were working with a youth group at uh, the church she grew up in, and I prayed at the end of the youth group time, and I just said, Amen. I didn't say in Jesus' name, I just said, Amen. And a lady came up, she was a senior, and she just said to me, Jesus isn't going to, God's not going to hear your prayer. And I said, Excuse me? She said, God's not going to hear your prayer. I said, Why? Because you did not say, in Jesus' name, amen. And I said, I don't think so. And I tried to explain it to her, so I'll explain it to you, okay? What happens is, is that we can get so focused on rituals and the words that we use that we begin to think that in order for God to answer my prayer, I've got to make sure I say the right thing. And the magical incantation in our evangelical churches today is to make sure we say, in Jesus' name. I want you to understand something. When you read the Bible, the New Testament, and you read the prayers that are offered there, nowhere do you see, in Jesus' name, amen. You just read what? Amen. When Jesus said to pray in his name, you have to understand the concept of a name of somebody in the, in the scripture is, is that it talks about the totality of who they are. So when I'm talking about praying in his name, I'm talking about praying in the character of God. I'm, I'm talking about praying in the essence of who he is. So that what I'm asking is in, in line with who he is. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? So you don't, I mean, if you end your prayer with just a simple amen... It's going to be okay. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you enter into a concept where you think, well, as long as I say in Jesus' name, I'll be all right. See, you're again wanting it to be something that you're saying or doing that will get God's attention. Here, folks, you already have his attention. 
You can't do anything to make yourself acceptable or make your prayers acceptable to Him. You just need to pray. And again, view it from a relationship, not from a ritual. Because if, like for instance, get back to the, if you're in love with somebody, they're going to accept what you say because they love you. Not because you said it the right way. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, one other foundational truth. I guess it kind of sums up everything here. Stop the manipulation. I think that's pretty clear, huh? Because here's the, here's the gymnastics we do. You know, you know we do gymnastics? You guys do gymnastics. You say, really, it doesn't show. But we do. It's mental gymnastics, spiritual gymnastics. Here's what we'll do. We face a situation, and we need God to do something. So here's what we'll do. We will plan our prayer time in our mind. Before we even pray, we will plan our prayer time in our mind. You know, when I talk to the Lord, I'm going to mention this to Him. and This is how I'm going to bring it up. And this is what I'm going to say. Folks, He's already there. You, you're, you're, it's like, how, how does it go over if you've got a big big brouhaha going on with your, your loved one? And you're in the living room. Well, you know what? When I'm with her, I'm going to tell her this. And you're looking in the mirror. I'm going to tell her this. And she walks in and hears you. How, how far is that going to go? Because you're planning your what? Your approach. Your, it's all about manipulation. You can't manipulate God. This is what he was saying, not to pray like the Gentiles do, with their repetitious praying. Because their concept was is how to manipulate their God to do what they want him to do. You can't manipulate God. Prayer is part of a pure relationship with him. And if you remember how Jesus prayed, how did Jesus pray in the garden? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's almost the exact opposite of how we pray. When we go to God, I got my grocery list. God, this is what I'm facing this week. This is what's happening. This is what I got happening last week. And I need you to do this. And, and we, come up, we come into the throne room of God with our ten-step process to solve our problem. And we got a backup plan too, in case that doesn't work. I mean, if you think about it, how silly are we? The God of the universe who created everything, spoke everything into existence. And we're going to tell him what to do? We're going to try and manipulate him? You think he doesn't know that? You know? So those are some foundational truths as we start to think about prayer. So, okay, what's the approach? Let's look at what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. I think it's in the sheet I gave you. The writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need. So how do we approach God? Well, the first thing we see from here is this. We are told to come to prayer with boldness. We're told to come to prayer with boldness. 
How many of you understand what the concept of boldness is? When you talk about being bold, we're talking about, well, let me give you an example. It's from, it's in, I, I give you the reference there in your, in your paper. Genesis chapter 18, verse 17 through 33. You want to talk about boldness? Listen to Abraham as he intercedes for Sodom. Verse 17 of chapter 18. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, Because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, is great, and because of their sin is very great. I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that that has come to me, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood stood still before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And so the Lord said, if I find in the Sodom fifty righteous within the city, I will spare it, spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed, now I am but dust and ashes and have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there are five less than fifty righteous. Would you destroy all the city for the lack of five? Then he said, If I find there forty-five, I will not destroy it. Let me just go ahead and stop. He continues on, but that is a picture of boldness. God's standing there with him, and he's saying, I'm going to wipe out Sodom because of their sin. Look at what Abraham does. He knows he's got the God of the universe standing right in his midst, and what does he do? Are you going to really do that? I don't think you should do that. Would you wipe out the righteous? I mean, he's bold in approaching God. Here's what the Bible's calling us. When you go back to Hebrews, think about what the writer of Hebrews is. Therefore, let us what? Come boldly to the throne of grace. Look, you can go to God boldly. You don't need to worry about your acceptance. You're already accepted because of Jesus. So you can go and boldly go to him and say, God, I don't think this situation's right. Why are you letting this happen? See, here's one thing. You may want to write this down. Some of you need to grasp the reality of this. It's okay to complain. Sometimes we have been given a wrong conception of church that you really shouldn't complain to God. You just need to accept it. I don't, I don't see that in the Bible. It, it's okay to complain to God. Because sometimes what we view as an injustice, we maybe need to talk to God about it and allow him to help us see it from his perspective. But it's got to start off as a complaint. Yes, God.
Yeah, it's not being real. You know, in, in fact, that's almost what we've been communicating is people have, we've got this concept of, of Christianity that our emotions should not be involved. But can us remind us, who created us an emotional being? God did. So you need to go to him, and you need to express your feelings to him. If things aren't going right, you need to talk to him. So you can go boldly and say, God, I mean, there are times, folks, I remember, it's been probably six years now, I was downstairs, and I got a phone call. Somebody, somebody from our church was in the hospital. And I'll never forget it, because the, they said, the hospital just called, they said his heart stopped, and they're trying to do CPR to bring him back. We need you to come. And I hung up the phone. Now, this was somebody I really loved in our church. It was a young guy. And I just stopped right there, and I just said, God, you can't let him die. You can't. That's boldness, folks. Now, God took him home. Did you understand what I'm saying? It's okay to be real. Let's get away from this mamby-pamby, let's color, sugarcoat it, let's be all flowery about our Christianity and stuff. That's not real. We, what we do when we do that kind of thing is we make God into somebody who doesn't understand the real world. God, God understands the real world, folks. He understands the pain and the heartache we go through. He wants us to be real. So come boldly. Here's the other thing. A picture of boldness is a little child. A picture of boldness is a little child. I gave you Matthew uh, 18, verses 2 through 4 there. Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as a little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Do you remember when your little one was little and they broke their toy? Remember what they believed about you? I mean, I remember Foster bringing me, he broke some little car thing or whatever, and he brought in and said, Daddy, fix! Did I say to him, oh, well, you know, here, let me chuck it in the garbage, you know. No, I, I took it, I said, okay, I'll, I'll try and fix it, buddy. And I did, and if it didn't, it did end up in the garbage, but I wouldn't tell him. But, I mean, he had a concept in his mind as a little child that mommy and daddy could what? Do anything. Do you understand what I'm saying? So they would be very bold in coming and asking. Isn't that, have you noticed that about little kids? Little kids are what, folks? They're what? Bold. Now we try to beat it out of them because they're bold sometimes when we don't want them to be bold. But this is what Jesus is saying to us. You come, when you, when we talk about being bold, we talking, we're talking about coming to God boldly as what? A little child who believes that God can do it. Believes that God can do it. Let's, let's go on now. We're to come to God as an heir. We're to come to God as an heir. 
Galatians 4, 7 says this, Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ Jesus. You're not a red-headed stepchild, folks, with God. If you know Him, you're not a red-headed stepchild. You are a joint heir with Jesus. You are, in a, you are part of the family. So you can go to Him. You go to Him boldly as a child, but you can go boldly as an heir of Christ. That's how you can approach Him. Now, having said that about boldness, there's one other aspect. We need to come to him with reverence. So what do we do? We need to remember who God is. We need to remember who God is. So you can write this down in the margin. There's a lot of concept there today. It's almost reducing God down to something. God is not your buddy. We need to remember that when we approach him. I, when I approach God in prayer, yeah, I can come boldly, yeah, I can express myself to Him, but I also need to remember, He's not my buddy. He's the God of the universe. He created me. And if it wasn't for Jesus, I'd be going to hell. Do you understand? The standing I have is not because of me. It's because of who? Jesus. So when I come to him, yeah, there's going to be a sense of reverence here because I'm recognizing who he is and what he can do. You know, there, there's a sense of fear. You know, how many of you remember this as a child growing up? Like, I remember very distinctly, I feared my dad. Did you know what I'm saying? I feared my dad. Why did I fear my dad? Because I knew if I didn't do wrong... I was going to have to pay the consequence for that. Dad was going to punish me. So I had to give respect to my dad. And I remember one time, I didn't show respect to my mom. I remember that because I wish now that I had. Did you know what I'm saying? Because dad educated me into the reality of needing to respect my mom. Did you know what I'm saying? So there was a fear of my dad. Now some people say today, well... Well, that's terrible. No, no, you don't understand. That was control. That was character building because if I was allowed to do my own thing, I wouldn't be here today. Do you know what I'm saying? I am who I am today because of my upbringing, because of the fear I had. This is the problem in our society today. We have no fear of authority anymore. And some of us approach our relationship with God that, like that. Folks, He, Jesus is a friend closer than a brother, but I'm going to be honest with you. He's still the God of the universe. Here, let me, let me remind you of something. If you go to Revelation chapter 1, John the Apostle. Now, do you remember how John was listed in the Gospel? He was listed as, he never wrote his own name. He always said, the one whom, what? Jesus loved. And when you see him at the Last Supper, he's leaning on Jesus' breast. So we're talking about an intimate relationship there, Right? You go all the way to Revelation chapter 1, and he sees the vision of the risen Christ. What does he do? Hey, Jesus, high five! Is that what he's doing? It says he fell down on his feet is dead. On his face is dead. Yeah, he had an intimate relationship with God, but you know what? He knew who God was. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? Even when you look at like Abraham and Moses, and they talk to God face to face, even with this boldness in the approach that Abraham, remember the passage we just read, Abraham's approach to God, even in the boldness of interceding for Sodom, he still what? Reverenced who he was talking to. He was bold, but he still knew his place. That's what really the issue is. And so really when we talk about reverence, we are approaching the throne of God. We're approaching the throne of God. I don't know if any of you have ever been in a courtroom. I have, and you've seen somebody approach the, 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 uh, approach, the, approach the judge and they've got a flippant attitude. It doesn't last very long. Do you know what I'm saying? It doesn't last. I think that was just in the news here recently, one of those terrorist guys. They sent him back to get dressed right. You know, it's, that's a human concept of what we need to understand on a spiritual dimension. When we talk about approaching God in prayer, you need to recognize you're entering into the throne room of God. Now, here's the other. So, with reverence, so here we've got to get moving here. Here's with confidence. We need to we got to have confidence. We need to recognize His benevolence. When we look at that passage in Hebrews, we can recognize that God is benevolent. He's not going to hold out on you. We need to have a concept of a loving God who's just, He's not going to hold out on you. He's not going to give you, He's not going to do wrong to you. Jesus said this, How many of you would ask, if your son asked if you a fish, would give him a snake? God's not going to give you a snake when you talk to him about your problem. We need to recognize, we need to have confidence, we need to recognize that God is, we should recognize his benevolence. Okay, here's the other one. We can have confidence that God will show mercy and grace. Both of those concepts, mercy and grace, convey the idea of getting what you don't deserve. Aren't you glad we don't get what we deserve? So when I go to God, I can have confidence that He's going to give me what I don't deserve. Do you understand? Because what I deserve is hell. In fact, that's the next point here. Grace is receiving what you do not deserve. And then finally, I can have confidence because of this. Our confidence is not based upon ourselves. See, this is the reason why some of you don't pray. This is the reason why some of you do not go to prayer. Is because you keep looking at you and what you did 15 years ago, 10 years ago, last week, last night, this morning. And you're like, oh, man, there's no way I can go to him. Look, again, you're trying to make yourself ready to go to him to talk to him about your problem. You can't. You can have confidence to go to him, not because of you, because you can't do anything. It's because of who, folks? Jesus. So I can go to him with confidence. Now, the other thing is, the final thing is assurance. We can have assurance that God will help us in our need. The writer of Hebrews says that we can have assurance that he's going to help us in our time of need. So let's, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer.